Well, this is the, uh, I guess, annual fear month for our community, our culture. It's just all around us, and we, we get that. And uh, we, we wanted to follow suit with our own little haunted house look as you came in. And um, whether or not you do any sort of celebrating on a big level or a small level, whether you decorate your deal, your house, or you just kind of let it go, or you're like us, you turn out all the lights and just don't answer the door and just hope they go away. Uh, regardless of how you celebrate, it's, it's a part of our culture. And many of you parents who uh, just lose your minds that one little boo-boo on your kid's arm will take fake blood and just drench your child and say, isn't she cute? Or, you know, we, we're, we kind of get wrapped up into it in our own way. And uh, the main deal around this month, though, is monsters. And uh, many of you are way too young to know, but way back in the 30s, it all began with the whole Dracula and Frankenstein and Wolfman. And if you've ever seen those old black and whites, they're not very scary. It's pretty typical what you, what you get, but that was the beginning of the monster. And as time went on, our culture began to develop monsters that began to not just prey on our fears, but to create fears that we didn't even have, to get us to be afraid of things that we didn't know we were supposed to be afraid of. And it changed and it's morphed and Hollywood has done what Hollywood does. And so it moved from Dracula to Frankenstein and Wolfman to eventually zombies and then Leatherface and then on and on. And, and one of those monsters that even if you're not into the scary stuff you're familiar with is Freddy. And Freddy has this iconic sweater that he wears. I was this close to ordering one. But anyway, uh, this iconic sweater that he wears and he's got the blades on the end of the fingers and the whole thing. And, and Freddy wants to create this fear this fear of sleep, this fear of being alone and falling asleep because he attacks you in your dreams. Now, I'm not encouraging you to necessarily think a whole lot about the movie. I'm, I'm certainly not encouraging you to go watch it, so don't hear me say that. If you say I encouraged everyone to watch that, then you'll be found a liar, but that, that's just not true. I am not, but we all know who Freddy is, even if you're not into that. And he creates or even preys on this fear of sleep. So throughout the franchise, the people are doing whatever they can to stay awake, filling up their schedule with stuff and going to parties, throwing parties, being a part of conversations, talking, inviting friends over, drinking as many caffeinated drinks as they can possibly drink just to stay up, anything not to rest. The more we can move, the more we can be, the more places we can go, then we won't fall asleep and we won't have to fear Freddy. And although that enemy is obviously made up, the story of God is very clear that we have an enemy and the enemy has schemes and he has strategies and he desires to take us down and create for us an environment in which we don't live in the joy that God has for us. And I think one of the fears that the enemy has placed within us is very similar. It's the fear of rest. It's the fear of solitude. It's the fear of silence the fear of stillness. And we're afraid to be alone with our thoughts because we don't have to deal with reality. We're afraid to be alone, period, because it might mean that people don't care about us. We're afraid to stop talking because we might have to hear truth. We're afraid to not have something to do. And we have this weird cycle that most of us are in. We complain about how busy we are, but then we have a little moment in our schedule and we immediately have to fill it with something because there's just an uncomfortability that comes with being still or being alone or being quiet. 
I mean, when was the last time you were still and quiet for 10 seconds and didn't immediately reach for your phone just to have something to do to get your mind going? We don't know how to be still, and we don't want to be still, and we have this fear of rest. So we continue to do, we continue to move, we continue to go. We complain about our jobs, and yet we volunteer to work extra just so that we can have something to complain about, but also just so that we don't have to wonder what to do next. We're always filling our time and filling our schedules. Because if we stop working, we might find out that the business is going to survive without us. And we don't like that feeling. We want to feel way too important for that. If we stop talking, we might have to hear truth, wisdom that we don't really want to face. If we stop surrounding ourselves with people, we might be forgotten. We've got all these fears that really go along with this fear of rest, this fear of being alone, fear of being quiet. But yet God gave us 10 commandments. He gave his people 10 commandments just as guardrails to guide them. And one of those 10 was to remember this Sabbath day of rest, to have one day carved out where you allow yourself to rest, to trust God to do whatever needs to get done, to trust God to tie up all the loose ends because you need to step back. And why would God give us that, the commandment to rest? And we look at all the other commandments and many of us are, are willing to give all the nine to say, yeah, it's smart, smart, smart. I mean, none of us really looks at thou shalt not murder and says, well, why not? I mean, we, we kind of get that. Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, like faithfulness. We, we get that. Even if you've been a part of a relationship where things didn't go right, you know in your heart, yeah, a lot would have been covered over had faithfulness been a part of this. You know, don't, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. We get all that. But then don't forget to take the Sabbath rest. Make sure that you observe this day of rest. Of all the 10, we're thinking, if I'm going to break one, like that one doesn't seem to be a big deal. Like I, no one's getting hurt by it. And I can handle it. I can handle more work than the average person, or I can handle more busyness than the average person, or I can spend more things at the same time than the average person. And yet God still has it as one of the commands. Why is that? I want us to look at four reasons why we have this command to rest. Because most of us don't practice it. Most of us don't value it. Most of us don't think it's that important, and understandably so. And I'm sure if I was pressed and someone said, you have to break one of the 10 right now, intentionally break one of the 10. I hope I would say I'm not going to, but if I had to, I'd probably say, yeah, I'm going to go for that Sabbath rest one. I'll just, I'll do that. That seems to have less consequences that I'm willing to deal with. So why is it that important? This is not incredibly profound, but I think it's very important that we at least reconsider them. Number one, he gives us the command to rest to protect us. He wants us to fight through our fear of rest for our own protection. One Sabbath day, Jesus and his followers were journeying. They were walking. There were rules on the Sabbath. You couldn't do this, couldn't do this, couldn't walk this far, uh, couldn't do this particular thing. At times, Jesus was criticized for doing miracles on the wrong day. I'm thinking, you know, the person's sick going, I know it's the wrong day to ask, but this is the only day that I know I'm going to see you. He was criticized all the time around this uh, particular day. 
But on this one Sabbath day, Jesus and his 12 disciples were walking. And as they walked, they went through a grain field and they stuck out their hands and be natural, just kind of walk through the grain field. And you've got your hands out there and they they grabbed a few kernels and they just began to invent wheat thins, like right on the spot, just kind of eat and snack, just, just a little. And the religious leaders in the community, the preachers got together and said, Jesus, you just broke one of the commandments. Look at your people. Look at your, how could they do that? And don't they know, don't you know that it's not lawful to do work on the Sabbath? And they clearly are harvesting. And they're clearly working the fields, snacking on these grains. And Jesus reminded them of a time in the past when the revered King David appeared to even break that commandment. But then he had this comment in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the inference is that God did not create laws and say, well, now I got to create people so somebody can keep my laws. God created people and said, they need help. They need boundaries. They need protection. And so I'm going to present these boundaries. I'm going to give them these guidelines along the way. And one of them is this requirement to rest. Why is that such a big deal? How could that even be protecting protective for us. I think most of us would recognize it, but if you haven't, you need to grasp it, that when you are physically not well, you are spiritually vulnerable. When you are not hitting on all cylinders, when you are exhausted, when you're burned out, you are probably also not the person that God created you to be in that moment your responses and your thought patterns and your ideas and your your communication, everything gets a little off when you're exhausted. It's the whole Snickers thing. You know, when you're when you're tired, like you're just not you. And you know that. And the enemy knows that. And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, which is a, a pretty uh, well-known uh, bit of scripture there, the enemy came to him after he was fasting for weeks and weeks and weeks because he thought, if I'm going to get Jesus trapped, I'm going to hit him when he's physically weak. And when you and I do not rest, and again, I don't mean sleep. I don't think there's a one of you right now that's afraid of sleep. Many of you are thinking, if the lights were just a tad dimmer right now. I, I know, none of us is afraid of sleep. It's, it's rest. It's not moving. It's being quiet. It's putting aside things that we could do, but don't have to do, or don't even want to admit that they don't have to be done. We just feel the need to do them. That fear of rest and not taking care of those things puts us in a place where we are susceptible to burnout, to frustration, to exhaustion, and then we're not us. And then we have regrets and we look back on it and realize it was all tied to me not practicing this rest. I have a lot of regrets in my life, as I'm sure many of you do. But I am 100% certain that I don't have more than I already do because I've done my best to observe this. And I don't mean, it's not an excuse for laziness. Don't let anyone say, well, I'm not going to help out in this way because thou shalt not, you know. No, no, no. It's not about laziness. This is about being willing to say, in this moment, I've got to make sure I'm on. And I've got to make sure that I'm not doing extra stuff I don't have to do right now because I need to take care of myself. And in many ways, that's Sunday. I mean, we we know that. Sabbath is much more than a service. 
But it's easy to put this aside. It's easy to say, ah, I'm tired, I want to sleep in, therefore I won't observe the Sabbath so I can sleep. We can sleep and not rest. In fact, if you sleep too much, you feel even worse, and we all know that. But there's this idea where we have to be able to take care of ourselves. Jesus said, you were not made to go 24-7. You were not made to work yourself into the grave. You were not made to do everything all the time. You've got to prioritize the rest. Because if you're physically unhealthy, spiritually, you're going to be compromised. The second reason God gives us this command to rest is to teach us. There are things that we do not learn while we're in the midst of playing hero, of trying to make sure that we are making everything successful and we are the reason behind it all. There are just some lessons that we do not grasp. And at times, God has to step in and say, why don't you just step back and let me take the wheel? Well, God, I I can't do that right now. It has to be done. Trust me. It will go on without you. And that's a fearful thing for most of us. And in the book of Exodus, Moses is leading God's people into freedom. The enemy's running after them. They thought the enemy was going to leave them alone. The enemy decides to run after them. And they get to this point where they go to Moses and say, what are we gonna do? We can't fight these Egyptians. We can't fight these guys who have been oppressing us for hundreds of years. we're, We're stuck. We don't know what to do. He began to call out to God, and in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, Moses gave the people the answer. He said, don't be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. If I'm one of the men with my family behind me, He says, what are we going to do? And I approach Moses and say, Moses, what's your plan? And Moses says, the Lord is going to win the victory today. You and your family, just be still. I'm not walking back going, oh, we have a plan. It is to do nothing. We're good, guys. It's okay. Moses said, we don't have to do anything. We'll stand here while the enemy comes. Uh, That's not a good plan in my mind. But God wanted the people to see that in the end, he was taking responsibility for the outcome. Their responsibility was obedience, period. The victory was never going to be because of them. That's why we read in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That word be still, that phrase literally means cease your striving, stop your working and know that I am God. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's not about you. It is about me. Now, this truth that God teaches us when we're alone, when we're quiet, when we're still terrifies us because it means that we might not be indispensable. It means that maybe the world will still spin even if we don't help it spin. It means that maybe other people can do what we do and that scares us to death because we do not want to feel like other people could move on without us. I notice this when I'm on vacation, if I'm ever gone. Like there's a part of me that thinks I'm gonna be gone and this is gonna be so great and I don't have to think about anything going on. And then after half a day, if there hasn't been a text message come through, I'm thinking, what, no one needs me? Like, what's the deal? Like, everybody can move on without me? 
I wanted it and then I got it. I thought, I don't want this after all. And many of you are thinking, I just want to step away from the job. I'm going to leave for a week and go on vacation. And then after four or five, six days, you pull back in, you go to work the next day and you just wait on everyone to say, literally everything blew up and we couldn't do anything without you. And you come back and realize everybody was fine. No one got in trouble. No one got fired. No one lost the company. Everybody moved on. You're thinking, huh, so you guys can survive without me? Like that's a terrifying thought. And I think in part because we know in our hearts we're valuable. We know in our hearts that we're, we matter. And that's because we do. God placed value on us. He declared us to be valuable and we know that. So when people slide us or push us aside in the margins, we get offended and we feel like, well, I'm better than that. You, you should know that. And the truth is, it's true. But we get to a point where we have tied our worth to our work. And that was never the case. God determined that we were valuable before we ever did anything. And we fear like, how can I be valuable and you be valuable in the same thing? Like we're the same? Like which one of us is more valuable? Which one of us is the MVP? Not just a valuable person, but the most valuable. Yesterday, I helped a family say goodbye to a really special lady. And we're there at the, the funeral home and I met nine siblings and a 97-year-old mother there who was saying goodbye to, to her daughter. And as I spent time with the family and we got to some of the lighter-hearted stuff, uh, like she was a big UT fan and so her funeral was scheduled at three o'clock yesterday. I was like, great, that's really, this, are, we, are we doing this for real? It was, we laughed about it and we talked about it. Uh, all the siblings had their phones out you know, while I was talking, looking at the game. You know, it was a different kind of memorial. Loved that family to death. But I thought about that having 10 kids. I think there's a reason why God just gave Christy and me two. Because I, I don't have the capacity to love that much. Like I, I could only put it into two. Because if I'm one of 10, I'm asking mom, like, so is it me? What do you mean? You know, the, the MVP. Like, I love all of you the same. Okay, but which one is the... Like, we we want to know like, who is the most valuable because we don't have the capacity to love and to value the way God does that. So we assume if you're value, if you have high value, then you've taken a little bit of mine. And if God loves you and adores you and has gifted you, then, uh, then I lost a little bit of that. Like somehow there has to be this order when God's saying, no, it was, listen, none of you is really responsible for victory. It's mine. So Stop your striving, stop your working, and know that I am God. Why don't you be still and let me fight for you? You don't need me, God? Not really. But I, I like it when you're apart. I've given you gifts and abilities and opportunities. I want you to exercise those now. But no, I don't need you to do this because it's all about me. And that is a hard, hard lesson to learn. But we don't learn it unless we're willing to stop our working and realize our worth is not connected to our work. The third thing is to grow us. This is a little hard to wrap our minds around, uh, myself included. But I think it's a really important principle here that there are some things that God wants to reveal to you. There is a next level to your current uh, space in your faith journey. There's more. Sometimes we talk about going deeper or knowing more or growing in a different way. But God wants to grow us and reveal to us things that we're never gonna get in a sermon we're never going to get from being around our neighbors. 
We might not even get from memorizing a verse. There is a depth that God wants to take us to, each of us to, in which his spirit begins to reveal to us some things in life that we'll never see on our own. And Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No eye has seen, no, nor ear has heard, or mind imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. In other words, you can't understand. Like you've literally got to just stop and allow me to dream for you. Take that, Freddie. Like I want you to dream. I want you to allow me to show you the dreams that I have for you. And it's not going to happen unless you're willing to embrace this idea of just being alone with me and allowing my spirit to actually teach you. And there is a place that God wants to take each of you in your faith journeys. And we're all in different places. No one's behind or no one's ahead. We're just at different spots as God is transforming all of our lives into the image of Jesus. We're at different places. And that next step for you might be this, where God begins to reveal to you the plans and dreams that he has for you that you would never dream up on your own because you're just staring at your money, at your opportunities, at your own limitations, at where you've been, your experience, your successes, which all may be a part of it, but everything is possible with him. And you may not know that until you're willing to allow him to dream for you and with you, to grow you. So to protect us, to teach us, to grow us, and then the fourth and and final thought is to speak to us. I know that being alone is in and of itself enough of a nightmare for many of us, but God has consistently through the years done powerful things in the lives of people who felt all alone. Things that he would have never done in their lives had they never allowed themselves to be alone with God. And maybe you're in one of, the, one of those seasons right now where you feel alone. You've got people around you, but you just don't feel heard. You don't feel seen. You don't feel like people understand what's going on. You don't feel like anyone cares enough. Therefore, you're continuing to worry and worry and feel any margin you have with worry because if you don't worry about it, no one else is going to prioritize it because you're on your own. You're stuck out there. You're having to carry this burden by yourself. And even though I hate the fact that you may feel that way because we all have, the truth is God may allow you to have this season of loneliness because he's got something to teach you. And there's a man in scripture named Elijah who was a prophet. Elijah spoke to God's people on his behalf. He lived at a time when people didn't want to hear anything about God, which may be similar to where we live today. But Elijah was alone and speaking up for God. And the king at the time, he and his wife, did everything they could to push aside our God. And Elijah wasn't heard. Elijah was pushed aside. He was threatened at times. And there's this moment where Elijah challenges these believers in a false God. And he says, we'll we'll find out whose God is who. You call on your God, I'll call on mine. The one that rains down fire is going to be the one that is truly God. And as you can imagine, the false prophets called on theirs, nothing happened. Elijah called, God burned up the sacrifice that he had put out. 
Well, when it happened, it was an embarrassment to the king. It was an embarrassment to the queen. And so the queen, whose name was Jezebel, we've heard of her through history. Queen Jezebel told her husband, I am going to kill Elijah if it's the last thing I do today. He's going to die. And her husband said, yes, ma'am. And so they gathered the people together and said, we're taking Elijah down. Elijah ran and he ran and he ran. He and one of his servants got to a place or a particular town called Beersheba. He said, stay here. I'm going to go be alone. I feel alone. I might as well just be alone. So just stay. He went out by himself, sat under a tree and asked God to take his life. He said, God, I've had enough. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm lonely, I'm discouraged, I have done everything that you asked me to do, and it's fallen apart. So just kill me right here. I'm going to take a nap, I'm going to go to sleep, and I don't plan on waking up. So Elijah laid down, he asked God to take his life, and he went to sleep. Instead of taking his life, uh, Scripture says that there was an angel that showed up and cooked him breakfast, which is kind of funny, but cooked him a meal, woke him up. Elijah was able to eat, get a little strength back, and then the angel directed him, and Elijah embarked on a six-week journey to a place called Sinai, which is where Moses was when he originally got the thou shalt rest basics. So he's headed towards Sinai. He's going to this place by himself, hasn't seen a soul in 40 days. And if I haven't seen anyone in four hours, I start talking to myself. So I can't imagine after 40 days, he's by himself. He gets to this place called Sinai, this very sacred place for his people. He finds a little hole, cave, a a dugout place in the mountain. And he lies down and again, just says, I'm going to rest right here. I'm going to be alone in this moment. I'm going to embrace the rest. I'm not going to fear it anymore. In fact, I don't even want to live. So this might be the best thing for me. And he rests. Then there's a windstorm and it passes, an earthquake and it passes, and then a supernatural fire event of some sort and it passes. And then in verse 12 of 1 Kings 19, it says, after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So he's there waiting on God to speak to him, to do something. He needs direction. He needs encouragement. He needs wisdom. He needs to know what God's plan is, and God whispers it to him. He would have never heard it, with the crowds. He would have never heard it in town. He had to be alone. He had to trust God and embrace the rest and say, God, speak to me in this moment. And God did. God said, now that I have your attention, now that you're willing to allow me to talk to you, let me tell you some things. One, I want you to go back into town. I want you to anoint a new king in Aram. I want you to anoint a new king in Israel. And I want you to anoint a new prophet that's going to succeed you. You've been alone far too long. You're right. I've got a man named Elisha, and Elisha is going to be your confidant. He's going to be your companion. You're going to do ministry together until ultimately I take you home. And then, by the way, this whole alone business, you're not actually alone. What you don't realize is that I have been preparing 7,000 people who are just waiting on you to lead them. 
You thought this entire time that you were out on your own. That's not true. I preserved a remnant and now they're waiting on you to go back. All that truth, Elijah needed to hear, but he was not going to hear it when he was in the crowd. He was not going to hear it at the service. He was not going to hear it even with his friends who meant well. He needed to be alone with God. And there are some questions that many of you have about what God's plan is for your life. And there is some wisdom that you need. And there is some encouragement that you want. And God might be ready to give all of those things to you if you would be willing to carve out some space for silence and stillness and solitude in your life. Instead of being so afraid of just not working for a moment, of not reading for a moment, of not texting for a moment, of not watching for a moment or binging for a moment and just being alone and saying, God, here I am. I don't know how to get to Sinai. I only know Dunbar Cave, so I don't know where to go there. But if you would just, in this moment, speak to me, I'm yours, and you've got my attention. Because as much as we want to make people do and invite people to stuff, and as uh, part of the leadership here at the bridge, I, I want you more involved, not less I want you to fill those seats and I want you to bring people and I want you to be a part of events and I want you to connect in groups and all that stuff. The truth is what Jesus has invited us to is this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I don't want to oversimplify things here, but I feel like if my life is not experiencing this, it must be because I am rebelling against God's command to rest. God said, you come to me and you find rest. I do the hard stuff. I do the work. I give my own life. Now you get to come and just enjoy it. I've paid your penalty. I've paid for your sins. I've secured your future. I just do what I ask you to do and rest. Just be with me. You're not in charge of the outcome. I'm just asking you to take responsibility for your own obedience. Just do what I ask you to do. And it's going to be, okay, I've got you in this. So my encouragement to you today is to be willing to step back, look at your lives and ask, am I really at rest? Is my soul at rest? Is that why I don't have joy? Is it a lack of rest? But what do I do? I carve out space regularly for stillness and solitude and silence and say, God, speak to me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us, for being a great God who's willing to step into our chaos and remind us that you created us for rest, that even you rested at the end of creating. Not that you were tired, but you chose to rest and you ask us to follow suit. So God, for those of us who are working incredibly hard to impress you, working hard to prove our worth to the people around us, working hard to somehow convince others of our own value, God, let today be the day that we lay down those efforts and we put down our work tools, we put down our weapons and we allow you to be our peace. God, we may not be able to move forward until we do. There may be relationships in this place that are holding us back. 
But until we're willing to be still for a moment and address the conflict, we'll never move forward and we'll never know rest. There might be some difficult bits of reality and truth that we need to come face to face with that we're only going to come to grips with if we're willing to be alone with you, to be honest with you about who we are, about where we've been. And as difficult as it might seem, to be able to have the courage to walk into your presence and be open and honest. God, your kindness is what always brings us back home. And your desire is not to beat us into perfection, but to transform us into the image of your son as we display the fruits of who you are in our lives. You desire for us rest. So God, I pray that if we have created a culture around us in our homes or in our workplaces where people are only valuable based on what they can do for us. Help us to be willing to step back and to realize that you yourself determined our worth even before we took our first breath. And our worth, our value is not determined by anything we're doing. And God, if there are times when we step away and feel less important along the way. Help us to see that's just a lesson you're able to teach us in this moment, that this is still your world and we are your people. You are the shepherd and we are your sheep. So teach us, give us rest in our souls, give us rest in our bodies, give us the discipline we need so that we can be prepared for what's next for us. Father, thank you for allowing us to create a space to to worship you once a week, to honor the Sabbath the best we can. And I pray that this would become a priority for us in a way that it never has before, not because we want to get something out of it or not because we like what's going on in it, but because we were created for it. And it's built in us. So God, give us the faithfulness and commitment that we need Father, thank you for loving us enough to do all the work and allow us to rest. For the men and women in this place who are not followers of Jesus, but they continue to come, God, we're thankful that they're here, but I pray that today would be the day they make the decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us, God. We give you our lives. We give you our all. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together now.